This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are now at the end of our series, and we're going to be talking today about Sukkot. We finished with Elul, we finished with Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and now we move to Sukkot, which of course we call in the davening, Zman Simchasenu. But wait, wait, <laughs> if you want to be properly happy, you've got to first start off with thanks. By the way, in life, thanks equals happiness. You want more, gra- you want more joy in your life? Just thank more. That's really, this is literally, just count how many times you thank people on a regular day, double it, and you'll see you're happier. That's it. Simple tip for life. You want to be happier human being, count with a little clicker how many times a day you thank people sincerely, and then double that. You'll feel more happy already. Okay, I think we're going to stop here. <laughs> okay, no, no, here we are. I want to thank you all for coming out, you wonderful people. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for being here on Zoom. And I want to thank you who's watching it later on Torah Anytime. Or maybe it's now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and all those things under Jewish Learning with Burnham. Jewish, sorry, Jewish Living with Burnham. So if you, if you want to catch it as a podcast, maybe you don't have time to watch it on Torah Anytime. I mean, you can also listen to it on Torah Anytime, but you can also catch it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, all the places you get your podcasts under the name Jewish Living with Burnham. So I want to thank you all for coming out and for being part of this Torah study. I want to thank the amazing staff over at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for arranging this beautiful, beautiful class and lunch and learn. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's filled with amazing Jewish knowledge that you can download directly into your brain, especially now around this time of year. I've been using it extra, extra more, and it is incredible. I also um, want to point out Today's learning should be a Zechus Refua Shalema for Leah Bas Serka. I, uh, someone told me, someone came over and said, you know, my, my mother is going through a, a, a situation, a procedure. I said, maybe you want to sponsor the class today. He says, oh, that's what it was, Rabbi. I, I could feel your hand in my pocket. Now, of course, <laughs> he's, he's joking around. He was joking around because he, the guy is a, is a guy who makes a lot of jokes all the time. Uh, but... The funny thing is, like, I used to be uncomfortable about asking people for money. Because, like, it's just not an uncomfortable thing. Most people find it uncomfortable. The reality is I don't feel uncomfortable at all. Because, like, what are the costs to sponsor a lunch and learn? You know, a couple shekels, right? Whatever. I mean, it's actually more than that, by the way, if you want to know. Probably $180 or whatever it is. But what do you get out of it? You get out of it thousands of schusim, of merits. Every minute of Torah study, every word of Torah study that we all do together is worth vast eternities forever. So I'm giving people the most incredible bargain in the world. I don't got to feel uncomfortable about it at all. I feel proud. I'm, I'd love to be able to offer you that incredible opportunity. You sponsor a lunch and learn in the memory of a loved one or in the schus for a forced labor for somebody and... For a couple of dollars, you're getting vast, vast amounts of merits and zechusim, and it's the greatest deal out there. So, anyway, the learning today should be a zechus for the refor shlema of Leah Bas Serka. Getting back to Sukkot. Sukkot, the sages tell us, is Zman Sukkot. We are going to daven in Mir Tashem on Sukkot. Zman Simcha Seinu Mikrakoidesh, which translates is as source number one. And you gave us Hashem, our God, with love, appointed festivals for gladness and times for joy. The days of this festival of Sukkot, Zman Simcha Seinu, the time of our joy, a holy convocation. 
right? Mikra Kodesh, Zecher Litzius Mitzrayim, a memorial for us leaving Egypt. Okay, what exactly is it? All the holidays you should be happy, right? There's a concept in general you should be happy on all the holidays. By the way, it's important to remember, if you are a man... The way you fulfill your obligation of v'samachta b'chagecha and you shall be joyful on your holidays is by eating some meat and drinking a little wine. If you don't like wine or you don't like meat, find an alternative, but you really, that's, that's ain simchal of basar v'yayin. You should try on yomtiv, ideally, the entire, all the days of sukkahs, including chalamoid and indeed simchas Torah and shemitah tzeres, if you are, you know, to drink a little bit of wine, a revius of wine, and to eat a kazais of meat. And if you are a woman, you should make sure that you have some beautiful clothing, some jewelry, some nice, nice clothing, covered the chag, covered the yamtif. And if you need any help with that, just send your husband to me. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm also giving out a 20% off of tappers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Okay, so you're supposed to have joy on all of your festivals. You're at the halacha that you're supposed to have, the meat and the wine and the, and the nice jewelry and the clothing, that applies to Shavuos, it applies to Sukkot, it applies to Pesach. Why specifically when it comes to Pesach we say, Zman Cherusenu, it's the time of our freedom. When it comes to Shavuos we say, Zman Matan Torah the time of the giving of our Torah. When it comes to Sukkot we say, Zman Simchasenu, the time of our joy. What exactly is it that we're so joyful about, and why much, much more so than on the other holidays of Pesach and Shavuos? Okay, that is our question. Now, hopefully, everybody here unloaded some baggage on Yom Kippur, right? Hopefully, everyone unloaded a bunch of the, the trash, the stuff that we didn't really want, right? You know, we go by Tashlich, we go to the water, we try to throw our... Uh, our, um, our sins into the water. A friend of mine, he posted for the community that he has Tashlech in his backyard. He's got some labor dick of fish, some very lively fish, and a little pond there, and he posted a picture. And then he actually had a, his family, were, the, the kids were counting. Like over 250 people came over the course of Rosh Hashanah to do Tashlech. And guess what? A, a couple of the fish died. Now, it might have been they were overeating because so many kids were throwing food at them, and they just exploded. Or it might just be there was a lot of sins in the community, but Baruch Hashem, those sins are all taken care of, right? Okay. That's why, by the way, in our house, our, our custom on Rosh Hashanah is we have the head of a lamb as opposed to the head of a fish, right? Most people eat the head of a fish, but you could also eat the head of a lamb, right? So besides the, you, you could say, Shania LaRoche, Velolazana, we should be the head and not the tail, which you can also say in the head of a fish, but there's an extra little added bonus when you have the head of a lamb or the head of a ram that you say it should be a remembrance of the Zuchus of Yitzchak Avinu, it should be a remembrance for the, the, the merit of, of Yitzchak, our forefather, who was the Akeda, and after the whole binding of Isaac, there was the sacrifice of the ram, of the lamb. So, we actually, we, 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 we carry, our custom and our family is, we walk around to the neighborhood and we offer people the opportunity to make this extra special Yehi zone. So on Rosh Hashanah night, we walk around, you, you got to see the scene. It's like late at night, and there's like, uh, the Burnham family is walking with the head of an animal on a plate and going from house to house. And now people really appreciate it, because this year we didn't bring it on the first night, we were trying to finish Tehillim twice for special Segula, whatever it was. So we brought it around the second night, and we're like, oh my gosh, we were, we, everyone was saying, where were, you? where were the Burnhams? We didn't get a chance to do the special mitzvah. So it's very appreciated in our, in, our, in our neighborhood. It's also a form of protection. Nobody messes with the family that walks around with an animal head on a plate. I'm just like, it's just, like, it's just safer. It's just safer. No, you know, I'm not, not saying that they're not going to ever pick on us, but they'll pick on the other people first. The family's without the head of an animal on a plate. Okay, middle of the night. Okay, so um, we... we 
How did I even get here? Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, yeah. So my son says to me, he says, Daddy, you know why our family doesn't eat the head of a fish and we only eat the head of a lamb? He says, because we are afraid if we eat the head of a fish, maybe that fish was one of the fishes that other people threw their sins on last Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> so we don't, we don't want to eat the head of a fish because in case somebody else threw their sins on that fish, so instead we eat the head of a lamb. Okay, but in any case, with Tashlik, we're trying to throw out our sins. Yom Kippur, we have all of our baggage. We just unloaded all of our baggage. We sin, and then we sin with this. We sin with that. We sin with this. And we take all of our, our baggage, and we throw it out. We think you want it to be, like, far, far away. But no. We are supposed to, immediately after Rosh Hashanah, immediately after Rosh Hashanah, we are supposed to take our baggage, our sins, and then make it into the crown of our sukkah. What do I mean by that? And how does that work? Okay. We'll see the, the source for that. You can actually see the source. Uh, actually, I'll show you the source right now. Why not? Let's get ahead of ourselves over here. Please turn to source number... Source number 8. The Babylonian Talmud tractate sukkah, page 12a. Gemara, Baba, Mesechla Sukkah, Daf Yud Beis, Amad Aleph. Ki Asa Ravin, Amar of Yochanan. When Ravin came and said in the name of Rav Yochanan, when it talks about what you're supposed to put, when you're supposed to make the Sukkah, it says, you're supposed to, Chaga Sukkos Taselacha, you shall make a holiday of Sukkos, Ba'aspacha, Migarncha, Omiyakvecha. When you gather from your threshing floor and your wine vats, says, Ravin, in the name of Rav Yochanan, B'psolas Goren V'yekev HaKasuv Medaber. The Torah is saying that you should take for your schach, for your sukkah, you should take the psolas, the trash, the shaft, from your threshing floor and your wine vats. The threshing floor is where you would take the grain. You have wheat and you have barley. And most of it is just a stalk. It's like an empty stalk. And then the top is the kernels that you eat. So you have a thing called threshing, where you would put all the grain down on a floor and you would step over it. You have an animal stepping over it. Like if an animal walking in a circle, or you yourself would step over it. And it would separate all the chaff, all the long stalks that are not, you know, they're not edible, from the actual grains. And then you would basically get rid of all the Shaft, you'd throw it into the wind, it's called uh, winnowing, and you'd have the grain stay behind, and you'd sweep the grain up, and you'd have, your, you'd have your grain for your bread, your barley, and your wheat. The same thing goes when you make wine. When you make wine, I actually once made wine right here in Detroit. There's a guy named Chaim Cohn who makes wine every year, and uh, one year he had, it was very kind to teach me how to make wine. He actually uses a, a press like a, a, a wine press that was from Detroit from during the Prohibition. People needed to make their own wine so they can get like, and you're saying, people didn't need to make their own wine. You could have bought, bought wine in a lot of places. Okay, but I'm sure you could have, but you'd be paying tax to the mafia, the Purple Gang. But there was, uh, there, you, there was definitely ways uh, you, could, you could make your own wine with a pressing vat, and this vat, that this, press, this wine press that Chaim Cohn uses dates back to the Prohibition, almost 100 years. And um, we made wine. The first step when you take the grapes is you've got to de-stem them because the stems are very bitter. And you don't want the stems getting stuck in with your wine. So the first step is you have a special machine that removes the grapes from the stems and all the stems come shooting out. And before you know it, you have a big thing of stems. And So especially if you were doing it back in the day, you'd also have all kinds of vine shoots. So over here, Ravin is saying that you're supposed to take the shaft from the wheat and all the vines and that you don't need that you got cut off and use them as your schach. 
B'psoles goren v'yekev hakasav medaber, your sukkah is supposed to be covered with the trash, so to speak, of your threshing floor and your wine vats. So you're supposed to take almost like the trash and, and put it on the top of your sukkah. What's going on? How does this work? Okay. Let's go back to source number two. Source number two, the Mishnayas and Sukkah, Perak Hey Pus Mishnah Aleph. Amru, they said, Call me Shalo Ra'a Simcha's Beis Hashoeva, Lo Ra'a Simcha Miyamav. Whoever did not see the Simcha's Beis Hashoeva, the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing, has never seen joy in his life. You call that a party? <laughs> you call that a knife. For those who know, if you know, if you know, um, you call that a knife? This comes from Crocodile Dundee. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> okay, you call that a party? You think you've seen a party? Says the Mishnah in Sukkah, you ain't never seen a party if you didn't see the party of the Simchas Beis HaShoeva. Basically, what, what, what does that mean? Now, the, the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, by the way, it goes on until today. We, of course, don't have the full process, and we'll learn about the full process in a moment. Actually, let's learn about the full process. We're, 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 just, we're just skipping over here. Source number three. Let's go through it. Let's, let's go through this. The Mishnah says, Nisa Chamayim Ketzad. Okay, chapter four, ver- Mishnah nine. Nisa Chamayim Ketzad. What exactly was this water libation we're talking about? Tzlochis Shalzav Machzekes Shloshalugim Hayim Emalim in Ashtiloach. There was a golden vessel, a golden flask, that was able to contain three log of water, or about three liters of water, and they would fill it from the Shiloach, the Silwan. There was a, a water, a little creek, that goes by uh, Jerusalem and goes by the temple, and they would leave the temple proper, and the Kohanim would go down to fill this water, this little golden flask with water, and that would be used the next day on the altar. When they reached the water gate, which was one of the gates in the temple, they had Kohanim standing, and they would blow the shofar. They would blow. Okay. Next, Allah. Now, they would come back in the morning, and they would go to bring this water on the temple. So they would do that in the middle of the night. And then in the morning, they would come with this golden flask, and as they were bringing the morning offering, every day there was an offering, as they were bringing the morning offering, when they got to the, when they would start climbing up the ramp of the altar, um, he would turn to his left, okay, there was, there was actually a bunch of different blowings of the shofar, it doesn't, I didn't do the whole mission over here. The priest, he would get up on the ramp, he would turn to the left hand side, and there was Shnei Sfalem Shal Kesef Hayusham. There was two silver bowls on the altar in the left corner. On the corner which would be facing, it would be the western, southwestern corner of the altar. Now, Rabbi Huda says that they actually weren't made out of silver. They were made out of, uh, they were made out of plaster, but they had become, they, they looked like they were silver because of all the, the uh, wines that had been poured there, and they had become like, it got a little darker, so it looked like tarnished silver. But anyway, the bottom line is there was two bowls on the altar, and they had two little holes in them, like two little nostrils. They had two little holes in them. One had a thicker hole and one had a thinner hole. The one for the wine had a thicker hole because the wine is more viscous, takes a little bit longer to drain. The water goes down a little faster, so it had a smaller hole. 
And they would pour the water into one of the bowls. Now, every single morning, mind you, every morning when they brought a carbon, they would bring with it wine. On Sukkot, when they brought a carbon, this particular carbon, the communal offering, the Tamid Shel Shachar, they would bring wine and water. Now, I ask you, what would you prefer? Wine or water? Right? <laughs> Rabbi, actually, water. No thanks on the wine. Okay, but it just seems surprising. <laughs> this party, what are we partying about? Tomorrow morning, we're going to bring water. But every day you bring wine. And wine is far more superior to water. So first of all, why are you even bringing this water, number one? And number two, why are you making such a party out of it? You're like making a big deal as if this is a great thing. You're just bringing water on the temple. Big deal. Okay, now, I'm going to have to stop a couple times here and check. Hold on a second. Okay, now, the... um, the thing was flashing red before, and if, if it goes off, then the, the sound gets cut off. So I want to make sure we don't have that. Okay, fine. There may be a few pauses for technical checks. Okay. We'll do the whole testing, testing. <laughs> one, two, one, two, testing. <laughs> okay. What are we celebrating, guys? That we're going we're gonna to serve some water to God? That's the big celebration? How does this work? Okay. But that wasn't the big celebration. If you'd see, the, in the morning, they would, they would pour the water into the temple. But the real celebration started before that. It was the night before. Let's see that inside again. Source number four, which is, again, the Mishnah in, in Sukkot. I'm going to read it fast in English. But it's there in Hebrew too, by the way. <laughs> he who has not seen the rejoicing in the place of the water drawing has not seen rejoicing in his life. At the conclusion of the first day of the festival of Sukkot, they descended to the court of the women. There was, a, it was, there was different places in the Beis Hamikdash. There was the Ezra's Nashim, it was called. It was the court of the women. It was a massive area just, you know, in, 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 in the temple proper. Where they made a great enactment. The sages explained the enactment they made was they would put up a special, uh, they would put up a, sp- a second level. So they would have a separation between the men and the women. There was going to be great levity and great partying. You didn't want it, God forbid, to lead to mixed dancing. So there was a, you know, there was, there was a, a, very, a very important thing that was done there to pre- prevent any kind of levity that would be inappropriate. There were golden candelabra with four golden bowls on the top of each of them, and four ladders to each. These massive candelabras that you'd have to climb up on a ladder to get to the top, and each one of these candelabra had four huge bowls. Four youths drawn from the priestly stock, in whose hands were held jars of oil containing 120 log from which they poured into the bowls. They filled the bowls with massive amounts of oil. You know, you think about like the um, the uh, the torch, you know, the Olympic uh, the Olympic cauldron. So they had they had these massive candelabras at the top were these huge bowls. In the bowls were massive amounts of oil, and then from the worn out drawers and girdles of the priests, they made wicks from the clothing from the priests that were just worn out. They couldn't use them anymore. They would make wicks, and with them they kindled the lamps. And there was so much burning of fires in there, there were such massive lamps that there was not a single courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the, draw, the, by the light of the simplest basis of the joy of the water drawing. Then what happened? Men of piety and of good deeds used to dance before them with lighted torches in their hands and sing songs of praises. Levites, without number, 
with harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and other musical instruments were there upon the 15 steps leading from the court of the Israelites to the court of the women. So they had 15 massive steps, and the whole steps were filled up with a a 100-piece band, a 150-piece band, all these Levites with all kinds of various musical instruments. And they stood there with their instruments of music, and they sang their songs. And that was the song, and it went all night long. It literally went until the morning. They would go from, from the time they went out to bring the water drawing all the way until the morning when it came time to actually do the service. They would be partying in this courtyard with great righteous people throwing up and down, juggling fire and cups. The Gemara talks about people juggling, juggling cups of wine. Now, the simple place of Shreva, we don't have the temple anymore, we don't have the offerings. I'll just quickly pause to thank the creator of H2O. Our entire class today and our entire lives, every breath we take, is uh, dedicated, is, is, is given to us graciously by the good Lord above. So we're going to thank him. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Shachal Niyabadavro. We don't have a temple anymore, unfortunately. And we don't have the ability to bring sacrifices anymore, unfortunately. But we, to this day, still have the Simchus Beis HaShoeva. Now, if you go to Israel, Israel is where they really know how to party. In Israel, you go to Mea Sha'arim, you go to where the Hasidic Jews live, and there are massive Bate Medrash study halls filled to the brimmings with 1,000, 1,500 people. And they've got a whole you know, a balcony with these rockin' Hasids. You've got to see it. It's like these... like. Hasidic dudes with the long, beautiful golden caftans and the long pace, and they got guitars and they got like flutes and clarinets and they've got drums and they're playing music and they're dancing. It, just to see, you should Google, by the way. Google Simchas Beis Hashoeva Mea Sha'arim. Okay, if you need to get the spell and come over to me afterwards, just watch, just find what you could see because it's, it's an incredible sight. And there's the Stalliner based Madrash is famous. The Stalliner based Madrash, they have a custom that when they dance, it's one big circle. Now there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on the base Madrash is only that big. So what do they do? Every, the circle is like a snake, and it literally goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and then all around and back and forth and back and forth. And you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were, were all in the same circle, all standing together. You go to like the the Rabarla, the, the, the Yerushalmi Chassids, and they're just, there's like a massive mass of people twirling and singing. It is so divine. It is so holy. It's so beautiful. You could dance for hours singing songs of devotion to God. In America, we have things also. My, my friend, a good friend of mine, he, every, Itzi Deutsch, his name is, he lives in Muncie. And every year, for years, he would have a simple base shueva in his father's sukkah. It would start around 9.30 and it would go to 4 o'clock in the morning. There'd be 50, 60 people inside, because that's maybe as much as the sukkah could fit. There'd be people outside. The sukkah's only so big. But there'd be people outside looking in, singing outside by the doorway, because there's a spillover crowd. And it goes to 4 o'clock in the morning. And what are they doing from 9.30 p.m. to 4 a.m.? Now, of course, there's delicious food out on the table. There's chulins and kugels and all kinds of, you know, there's tons of booze and there's drinks. And it's very geschmack, as they say. But what are people doing the entire time? The entire time from 9.30 to 4 a.m. It's pretty much nonstop. It's, they're either singing or they're saying over the Torah. Like words of, of, of inspiration. That's it. From 9.30 to 4 a.m. 
First of all, show me another nation in the world. Show me a nation in the world that, that parties like that. <laughs> Seriously. It, it, it's so beautiful. And you don't understand, like, I, I, you know, I, I live in Detroit now, so I try to do one like that in Detroit, in my sukkah. Now, of course, in Detroit, we don't go till 4 o'clock in the morning. It's a, it's a little, you know what I'm saying, anything past 10 is already pushing people's bedtimes, you know what I'm saying? But we'll go usually until about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning in my sukkah. It's not, you know, it's not as many people, but we'll go. And, and, and what are we doing? We're just singing, and we're together, and people are into it, and it's beautiful and inspirational. Again, Ashrei ha'am shekachalo, praiseworthy is the nation like this. I had this feeling, on Rosh Hashanah, I, uh, I had the honor of opening up the, uh, the, the Aron Kodesh for the uh, taking out of the scrolls by the davening in the morning. And we take out the scroll, and it's this beautiful, the scroll that we used was a, a beautiful scroll. I think it was, it was sort of rescued. I think it was even like a pre-war Sefer Torah. But it got checked, and it's a perfect. You know, it's in perfect condition. Not perfect, but it's it's a, it's a, it's, a it's, it's very very beautiful. They had it checked by a couple different scribes and a computer to make sure everything's perfect. And it comes out. It's this big, heavy Sefer Torah, and then it's got a beautiful white velvet, you know, cover with flowers and everything. And then on top of that, there's this massive, beautiful silver crown. And I'm looking, and I'm looking at the chazan. I give I give the Sefer Torah to the chazan, and I put the crown on the chazan, and he's sitting there. You know, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, Echad. And I'm looking at him like, what other nation in the world treats their holy writ, their holy scripture with such reverence? Have you ever seen a Christian take out a holy Bible of theirs, their New Testament, and cover it with beautiful cloths and, and embroidered velvet with flowers and a, and, a, and a silver crown? Have you ever seen something like that? Have you ever seen a Muslim have a, a Quran and they, and they cover it with beautiful cloth and a, and a, and a, and a, and a silver crown? No one. We, we are such a unique people. We're such a special people to be part of. Like, it's just unbelievable. We are so incredibly blessed. That's what a simple place of looks like today. We don't have the temple. We're not doing it in the, in the temple courtyard and God willing... We should, even this year, Mashiach should come, and this year we should all meet back together in the Beis HaMikdash for a Simchus Beis HaShueva to see what it looked like. But what's all the partying about? It's called Simchus Beis HaShueva, the joy of the drawing of the water. The whole ceremony. Now you could say, we don't need an excuse for partying, just we want to get closer to the Abishur, we want to get closer to God. But no, it's specific. There's a role over here. We're celebrating the drawing of the water for the libation. But the drawing of the water for the libation, I don't understand. Like, what's so special? You're going to pour water on the altar? Every day you pour wine. You do so much nicer every day. Like, why are we celebrating our downgrade? You you go to the airport. And you're, you know, you're on a trip to Boston, whatever. And you go to the airport and you go to the counter by the Avis, you know, the, the car rental. And you really, you know, you paid for like the compact. But you got there like, hey, maybe you guys can do me an upgrade. It's our, it's our anniversary. <laughs> like, 
you know, like whatever. And you hope that maybe they'll, they'll give you an upgrade. Maybe they'll give you up from uh, from the, the compact car. Maybe they'll go all the way to standard or intermediate, you know. Or maybe you actually rented the full size, which, by the way, is not really full size. But maybe you rented the full size and you're wondering, can we get an upgrade to like, you know, like the, can we get an upgrade to the, maybe the convertible? They're like, oh, we can do that. It's going to cost you an extra $78 per day, plus insurance and tax. You know, all the clicking, right? What's going on with that? What's going on with those special computers? They're clacking away. I don't know what's going on. We just point and click with a mouse. These people are still clicking away. Anyway, so imagine we go on vacation and we got our bags and my wife and I are traveling and I say, here, honey, you stay with the bags. I'm going to go to the counter. I'm going to try to see if I can get us something special. It's our anniversary trip. I go to the counter, right? She knows that I eh, got a full size. Maybe we'll be able to upgrade to like the premium or whatever. I come back. I'm like, yes! It's like, what do we get? We get a convertible? What do we get? You know? I'm like, no. We got downgraded to an economy. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> That's what's going on over here, ladies and gentlemen. Every day we pour wine in the altar. And today we're downgrading. We're going to pour water as well. We also pour the wine. We're going to pour water. And we're like, yeah! We're partying all night long. We got a downgrade. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into this, guys. Look at the source number five for a moment. On the holiday of Sukkot, there's a very interesting set of sacrifices. On the holiday of Sukkot, we bring 70 bulls. On the first day of Sukkot, we bring 13. On the second day of Sukkot, we bring 12. On the third day, 11. Fourth day, 10. Fifth day, 9. Sixth day, 8. Seventh day, 7. If you do the math, and I already did it for you, and God did it for you too, it's 70 altogether. Okay? 70 altogether. We bring 70 bulls. And it's very unique. First of all, that we bring so many bulls. Usually on a regular holiday, you bring one or two bulls. But here we bring 70 bulls. And then on top of that, there's also like sort of the, de- the descending 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. What do we bring these bulls for? Says source number 5, the Psikta de Rav Kahana. Amr of Pinchas ben Ben Chama. Rav Pinchas ben Chama says, "Shivim parim hayu shahayu Yisrael makrivim bechag." The seventy bulls that we bring on the chag on, on Sukkot connected shivim umos haolam sheyeshvu b'shalva. We bring it on behalf of the seventy nations of the world that they should sit and live in harmony. Now, there's a concept in Judaism that there's seventy root nations in the world. Matter of fact, the Talmud says if the if the non-Jewish nations knew how much we were doing for them. If by the, just by this one set of sacrifices, the 70 bulls that we bring on Sukkot, if they knew how much we were doing for them, they would set up guards around the Beis HaMikdash to make sure nobody ever touched the Jewish temple because they would understand that the Jewish temple is doing so much for the world. Think about this. We have a building called the UN in New York. The UN costs the U.S. hundreds of you know, billions. I don't know. I've got to look into this. I've got to find out what the exact number is. But it costs America billions of dollars a year. For what? For a bunch of for a bunch of diplomats to sit there, and you got you got like 
Iran on the, on the on the Human Rights Commission. You know what I'm saying? Iran, which still like you know beheads women for going out in public without a without an, uh, a family escort. You know, like like Iran and, and and Saudi Arabia and China, which is killing the Uyghur Muslims. You know what I'm saying? Those people are all sitting on the Human Rights Council. They're criticizing Israel. It's the most corrupt body in the world, the UN, and it costs and it, it costs America hundreds of billions of dollars. Why? Ideally, it's supposed to be. It's, uh, the idea of the UN originally was let's create world peace. Let's create world peace. So they're willing to spend all that money for world peace. Says the Gemara, if they really want a world peace, you know what they should have done? Protected the Beis HaMikdash. Because the 70 bulls that the Jews bring on Sukkot are so powerful in bringing peace to the world. Again, the 70, world, the 70 bulls are there for what? that the nations of the world should sit in peace. It's a scary time right now. we got Ukraine and Russia, and Russia's sabering, saber-rattling. They're talking about nuclear weapons. The Nord Stream 1 pipeline was just blown up in the, in the middle of the sea between Finland and Norway, and clearly it was some sort of act of sabotage. No one's really sure. Were the Roman, was it the Russians who self-sabotaged? Was it other nations, Ukraine? Who knows? But there's, there's, it's an uncomfortable time. China's flying over Taiwan. The world is not a settled place right now. We need the base Amigdash. We need those 70 bulls. Now, why is it specifically on Sukkot that we offer the 70 bulls? Why is it specifically on Sukkot that we offer sacrifices on behalf of all the nations? Why don't we do it any other time of the year? Now, we know that the 70 nations represent the 70 peoples. And we also know that the reason why Hashem created those 70 nations is so that we should all be, we can learn from each nation what they have unique about them. There's a Pasuk in Deuteronomy 32.8 on your source sheet, number 6. It says over there, Bahanchel Elyon Goyim Bafrido Bnei Adam Yatsev Gvulos Amim Lemispar Bnei Yisrael when the Most High, when Hashem gave nations their lot, when He separated the sons of man into different tribes, different peoples, He set up the boundaries of people according to the number of the children of Israel. The, the Jewish people, when they went down into Egypt, there were 70 people. As the Pasuk says in source number 7, Deuteronomy 10.22, nefesh yardu With 70 souls, your forefathers went down to Egypt. So there were 70 root souls of the Jewish people going into this incubator called Egypt, and there are 70 root nations. 35 of those root nations come under the rubric of Yishmael, one of Abraham's sons, and 35 of them come under the rubric of Esav. The reason why there are all these nations is because each one of them has a certain techuna. Each one of them has a certain character trait. For example... The Swiss are punctual. I was in Switzerland one time. Actually, I was in Switzerland a couple of times. My brother and I, we had this thing. We would try to find who was the most fashweist person, the most, the most Swiss person. Because the Swiss are so, like, they're so rigid. They're so punctual, you know? So we found, one, one time we found the most Swiss person. We were in Zurich, and we asked somebody, how do you get to this in this place? And he said, ah, yeah. He, said, he shows you, you go up the street, you make a left over here, you go two blocks up, and you go over here, you make a right, and then you'll be right there. And then he unfolds his hand back. <laughs> you can't just take your hand down. No, no, no. If your hand went up like this, you've got to put your hand back down like that. You know, like, it was amazing, right? That was the most fashweist person. So the Swiss are punctual. 
The French are passionate. The Spaniards are fiery. The Arabs are hospitable. The Chinese are hardworking. And so on and so forth. So Hashem creates the 70 nations that we can learn from their facets. There's all these traits. We want to be fiery. We want to be passionate. We want to be hospitable. We want to be punctual. So that's why God created these 70 nations so that there should be this sort of this rubric for us to learn from. The 70 Jewish root souls, 70 nations, root nations, perfect. The problem is each one of these character traits has a positive and a negative side. For example, the French may be passionate, but maybe their passions are often for illicit relations. The Chinese may be hardworking, but when you're not hardworking, they send their elders off to die in the mountains, right? For many years, that was a, a, an incredible, a, a very common practice. By the way, it's rising all over the world right now, right? Euthanasia, right? Assisted suicide. It's a very troubling trend that's rising all over the world. Countries that are saying, okay, if you want to die, just come over here. And, and people are literally like, yeah, it's, it's, it's another concerning trend in the world. Another reason why we need Mashiach. The Swiss may be punctual, but they're also incredibly cold and uncaring. Oh, you don't have your documents. Sorry, no bank account. You know what I mean? Like all the Jews put their money in the Swiss bank accounts. But if you don't have your documents, we, we can't help you, right? Because, oh, you, you were fleeing from the Nazis and you didn't have any documents. I'm so sorry, but we can't give you anything because where's your documents? You don't have your birth certificate. The Arabs may be hospitable. But the rule is, this is actually a rule in the, in, in, in the Islam religion. If someone comes to you and says, can you take me in? They have to take you in and give you incredible hachnasas archim. However, if you overstay your welcome and you're there for more than three days, they're allowed to kill you. <laughs> just if you're planning your trips, you know what I'm saying? Like, just like, move around. Move around from place to place. You know what I'm saying? They'll take you in if you're going to be in the desert, whatever, but just after two and a half days, you're like, I, I must be going now. No, no, no! <laughs> the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, if we take on all these character traits, there's good sides and bad sides to every character trait. So it's a little concerning. If we get the good sides of the character traits, we might get the bad sides too. So what happens on Sukkot? On Sukkot, we're in a better place. We're much more in control. There was a story about a Hasidic master who one of his disciples came to him and he said, Rabbi, I'm having you know, inappropriate thoughts. They keep invading my brain. When I'm praying, when I'm davening, when I'm with my children... I have these inappropriate thoughts of things that I shouldn't be thinking about. What should I do? The rabbi says, the only solution you have is you've got to go to this town, Yakutsk, and uh, whatever, Yakutsk, I know it was on the, on the, on the uh, risk map, but uh, whatever, we'll just call it Yakutsk. Go to Shtetl X, and you've got to get a bracha from Yankel the woodcutter. Okay, it's, it's, it's a long travel, he's got to travel three days away. But he so badly wants to finally get rid of all these bad thoughts that have been invi- invading his brain during davening and during holy moments. He says, okay, he makes the trip, he goes all the way there, he gets there, it's late at night, and um, he gets to uh, Yankel, the, he, gets, he gets in town, it's already, it's already dark outside, it's like 10 o'clock at night, 
but he's so excited, he's been traveling all the time, he just wants to get that bracha. So he says to somebody, where does Yankel the woodcutter live? He says, well, he's a woodcutter, he lives in the woods. He lives on the side of town in the woods. He lives, and you'll see, there's like a shack over there. That's, I don't know why you want Yankel the woodcutter, but go, go. There he is. So he goes over there. The hut is quiet, the lights are off, there's no, there's no fire burning, and you know, it's, it's late at night. He's like, I, I, really, I probably shouldn't be knocking, but I want that bracha ready. So he knocks on the door. One of the shutters opens up. Who's knocking at my door? He says, um, it's me, I'm a, I'm a chassid. The Rebbe sent me to get, to get a bracha from you. That my, my, my chshavas, my, my thoughts, I, I have all these foreign thoughts. I need you, you give me a blessing to get them out of my head. Are you out of your mind? Get out of here! I probably should not have come here. He goes back into town. He finds himself an inn. He goes to sleep. The next morning, he comes bright and early, back to the woodcutter, knocks on the door. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Guy opens the shutter. He doesn't open the door. You again? Are you out of your mind? Get out of here! Okay. So he figures, okay. I, I think we got off on the wrong foot. Let me go into town. Let me go to the cafe. This guy looks like a poor guy. I'm going to go to the cafe. I'm going to buy the nicest, the nicest cinnamon buns, fresh. I'll bring him a steaming pot of coffee. I'll expend the good stuff, the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to bring him, and he's going to have appreciation. He doesn't really get these treats for him and his family. I'm going to bring him all these treats, and then he's going to, for sure, let me into his house, and he'll give me the blessing. So he comes back, and he's got this special box wrapped up with the, with the twine and the, and the steaming coffee, and he comes knocking Excuse me, excuse me, I brought coffee and danishes, fresh hot danishes. Can you please give me a blessing? The guy opens the door. And he sees the guy standing there with danishes and cookies and coffee and coffee. You again? What did I tell you? Get out of here! Okay, it's early in the morning. I'll come back. I'll come back tonight after he gets home from work. He's probably had a long day. And, and guess what? I'll bring deli sandwiches. <laughs> Okay, he comes back that night with deli sandwiches. Knock, 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 knock. Excuse me, Rebiana, I brought deli sandwiches. Are you kidding me? Get out of here! For the next day and a half, he keeps trying to come back, and he's bringing bribes and this. The guy won't give him anything. Finally, he's so dejected. He has to travel back now three days in the cold and the ice and the snow, and he's so depressed. He was hoping he was going to get this blessing from this man that he should stop having all these foreign thoughts invading his mind, inappropriate things coming to his mind, and he didn't get it. He was not successful. So he comes back to the Rebbe, and he's just like, he's like broken, he's dejected. He's like, Rabbi, I don't know what to tell you. I went there, and the guy won't give me a blessing. He says, tell me exactly what happened. So he describes the whole story. I came in the middle of the night, get out of here. I came back in the morning, get out of here with coffee, and then Danish just get out of here with deli sandwiches at night, get out of here. I brought him everything. Get out of here, get out of here. That's what the Rabbi said. I don't understand. I told you to go get a blessing. How come you didn't get a blessing? He says, Rebbe, the man wouldn't let me in. I know, but you go get a blessing. You got to go get a blessing. But Rebbe, the man wouldn't let me in. So why don't you just make your way into his house? He says, Rabbi, that guy's an owner of his. He's a bottle bus. He owns his own house. I can't just barge in. The rabbi says, exactly. Go be a bottle bus on your own house. Go own your own house. Just like that guy could tell you, you can't come in. And you tried bribing him with everything. And he said, no, he's the owner of the house. He's not letting you in. Go be an owner over your own house. When a person is not about a bus, when a person doesn't have ownership of his own house, he can be pulled in every direction. Every little you know, wind that, that comes blowing. You think about the world right now. Think about the craziness that's going on in the world right now. 
Things that 20 years ago, no one would have ever dreamed of. And yet today, people are pushing for these things, as if they're like the most noble, crazy things. And people are very supportive. Because we're not balabuses. We don't take ownership of our own house. It's very dangerous to be too deeply engaged with the, the non-Jewish culture around us. I mean, you think about, you think about what music, you think about this. I mean, remember, there, there was a time when people said like Elvis Presley was dangerous, dangerous music, right? People, when the Beatles came out, it was, it, was, it was something that was dangerous about the Beatles. It was wild. People were getting caught up in the fervor. Could you imagine the Beatles? The Beatles? You think about what's going on right today. What passes today for music? The lyrics that people are singing. Kids. The, 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 the insanity out there. It, it's a little bit dangerous to be deeply engaged with all the nations of the world because they've got all kinds of craziness. But after Yom Kippur, you become a balabas. You become an owner over your own home. You've taken responsibility for yourself. You've banished the negativity you banished the evil you know, sides of you. Now you have ownership. Now is the one time of the year that you're able to engage with the other nations of the world and only glean the good and not the bad. Because over the course of Yom Kippur, you've taught yourself how to sift. You've taught yourself how to take the good and remove the bad. So now comes Sukkot. I can engage with the Frenchman and I'll learn how to be passionate, but I'll only use the passion for my family and for serving the Abishter. And I can learn from the Spaniard how to be fiery, but I'll be fiery in my service of God, not in getting angry at other people and yelling at them. And I can learn from the Chinese how to work so hard, but never look down at anybody else who's not doing the same. And I can learn from the Arab how to be hospitable for four days. (laughs) <laughs> that's why on Rosh Hashanah sorry on Sukkot we sit down and we eat and we drink and we party you have to see the food at the Shueva at my friend Yitzi's house they got chalents and kugels and meats and brisket and there's booze if you don't know how to handle your booze, if you're still learning from the people out there all the negative stuff, you might end up becoming like a college frat boy who just you know drinks to get drunk and has no sense of... But if you know how to drink like a yid... <laughs> I'm serious. I remember I was looking at a bottle. There was a bottle of Tito's vodka on the table at the Simple Base of Shreva. And I'm thinking of all the times in the world that Tito's vodka has been drunk... Has there ever been a more elevated use of the bottle of Tito's? You're sitting there, you're sitting there for, for, for six and a half hours straight, and you're singing and hearing Divrei Torah. A little, bit of, a little bit of lubrication goes a long way. A little bit of like, it gives you a little bit more energy, a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and not about, like, for real, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. Like, it's, it's helpful. You get into it. Yeah, you have a couple of chimes, and you sing a little bit louder. And you listen a little bit more intently when the rabbi is saying his divrei You're shuckling, you're shaking, you're listening, you're engaged. Because he had a couple of l'chaims. Guess what? That's the best Tito's that ever was produced. I could engage with the physical world without being worried that I'm going to be entirely swept up in it. 
But I'm doing it in a holy misgeret. I'm doing it in a holy framework. I'm doing it in the sukkah. I'm doing it within God's loving embrace. A sukkah's yid is a yid that came back to Hashem. And now he wants to take all the parting he used to do in a negative way, but do it in a beautiful way. He wants to eat and drink to become closer to God. He wants to sing music to come closer to God. Not the lyrics, not the horrible, horrific lyrics that is part of the pop songs today. I want to sing. I'm a servant of God. I want to sing. Praiseworthy is the nation that is like him. I want to sing. Praiseworthy that he should lift up the fallen sukkah of David and bring the Mashiach. That's what I want to sing. Let's go back to what we said before. On Sukkot, we take the, the trash and you put it up on top. Sometimes a person thinks, let's say a person just really enjoys to party. He thinks, if I do teshuva, I can never ever party again. I just have to be very serious, very stern, very almost like it's like sad all the time. <laughs> Rabbi, I want to do teshuva, but I don't want to be sad all the time. Is that okay? The first step of doing teshuva is you got to excise all that trash out of you. So on Yom Kippur, we sit in our kittles and we, and, and, and we don't eat, we don't drink, we don't party at all. We're very, very, very non-physically engaged. Because we've got to wash out the negative partying that we may have done. But is that the goal? Does God really want us to spend our entire days just sitting, not eating and not drinking? If that's what God wanted, He could have created a world without food and drink. But God created a world with food and with drink and with wine and with meat. Because God wants us to enjoy it. But He wants us to enjoy it in an elevated way. So what's better, my friends? Is Yom Kippur better? Where you don't eat, you don't drink? And you're fasting the whole day? Or is Sukkot better? When you do eat, you do eat meat and you drink wine, but you do it in an elevated way. Which one's better? What's more in line with God's purpose for the world? God's purpose for the world was that we should be living in a physical world and elevate it. Not that we should be living like angels the whole year round. Yom Kippur, we're like angels. We don't engage with the physical world at all. And that's definitely important to first start the process in order to get myself into a new framework. i got to shock myself out of my previous ways. But once I'm there, to be able to eat and drink and still be connected to God. That's the highest level. Let's go back to the water. Let's go back to the water. When God created the world, it says that God created on the second day, God separated the upper waters, the waters in the higher atmosphere, and the lower waters. And the language there is that God, Vayas Elokimes Harakia. The word Vayas is like God forced a heavens to split between the upper waters and the lower waters. What does it mean God forced the lower waters? And the sages tell us what that means is that the lower water said, God, we don't, we don't want to be down here. We don't want to be down here. Anan ba'inan lemeheve kamimalka. We want to be in front of the king. We want to be in the upper waters. We don't want to be down low. 
And Hashem said, don't worry. Because you want to be close to me, every year on Sukkot, there will be a special celebration, and your water will be poured onto the Mizbeach, onto the altar. What does that mean? What's the depth behind this? What that means is, every neshama, when it comes down to the world, says to God, I don't want to go down to that physical world. It's so, it's so, so physical. I want to be here with you, God. I want to be in this purely spiritual place. But God says, no, no, no. Your whole purpose for existence is to go down into a world where you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you're going to sin and you're going to make it right. You're going to fight for what's good and what's right. You're going to change your ways and it's going to take years of slow growth. But you're going to become slowly a better person a more calm person, a kinder person, a more holy person, a more thankful person. You're going to daven better. You're going to say brachos better. You're going to make your Shabbos better. The goal is not for the entire world to be up here with me in heaven. The goal is that you should go down there and you should be elevated. Like the water that gets pushed down to the earth and is forced to be in the lower waters, but Hashem says every year on Sukkot, on the holiday that we celebrate the recognition that far greater than an angel who never eats and never drinks is the human being who eats and drinks and parties, but does it in a beautiful and elevated and holy way. We celebrate all night long with the water because we are the water, ladies and gentlemen. We are the water. How many times in our life do we feel, God, why did you send me down here? Why did you give me all these difficulties? Why did you give me all these challenges? Why did you make me an angry person? Why did you make me a lazy person? Why did you make me everything? We have all these. Why did you make me this way, God? Why did you send me so? Why did you make me so far away from you? God says, because when you do teshuva, you're so, you're so close. You're the purpose of all of existence. When a person takes the negative traits inside of them and turns them good, they are the reality of the world. They are the purpose for the entire world being here. We celebrate with the water because we know what it's like to be the water. And there's no greater simcha than the simcha's base hashoeva, right? So there's no greater simcha than the simcha of the joy of the libation of water. Why? Because there's no greater joy. Ain't simcha kataras hasfekos. There's no greater joy in life than the resolution of doubts. I'm not sure why do I exist. I'm not sure why God made me. But then as soon as when I, when I get it right, I understand, aha, this is why God made me. And this is why God made me with my greed and my laziness and my lust and my anger and my, all the my traits that I have. I understand. Because when I get it right, when I fight to make it right, when I fight to make myself better, it's the greatest offering to God. God says, I don't care if it's water. You think water is, is, is to me? You think water is less than wine? The water that comes from the deepest places in the earth, and yet says, I want to elevate myself, I want to get up there on the altar, that's the greatest gift you could ever give me. So God willing, my friends, this, simcha, this sukkis, let's rejoice with God. Let's rejoice with godliness. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's party. Let's have a beautiful sukkah and let's sit in the sukkah and let's eat and let's drink and let's sing songs of devotion and connection. Let's feel the connection. Let's feel the return of the soul, not through starvation and hunger like Yom Kippur, but through enjoying all the beauty that God gave from us. Let's be able to engage with 
Every nation of the world, let's learn from their best traits. Let's bring it into ourselves. Let's become elevated people. Let's become the water that was so concerned. Why did you send me down here? But then later understands on Sukkot, because I'm meant to be the carbon. I am meant to be the sacrifice who takes himself from the depths of the earth and elevates himself to the altar of God. May we all merit to do that and have a wonderful, wonderful Sukkot. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. Good job, Tiff. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.